Watch and listen to the talking news every day at 12 noon and 6 p.m. on Channel 96 Comcast Xfinity and Channel 30 Verizon Fios. It can also be heard Mondays and Tuesdays at 4.30 p.m. and Wednesdays at 12.30 p.m. on Channel 9 Xfinity and Channel 29 Fios. Listen anytime on the BMC Podcast Network on SoundCloud and iTunes. Just search for the Belmont Media Podcast Network. Now on to the talking news. 25% of households eligible for affordable housing by Joanna K. Zuvalis. The Belmont Housing Trust recently completed a draft housing production plan which determined nearly 25% of Belmont's current households are eligible for affordable housing. Since 2009, Belmont's housing prices have increased by more than 40%, making the town increasingly inaccessible to households with low and moderate incomes. According to Gloria Leipzig, co-chairman of the Belmont Housing Trust, Belmont currently has 365 affordable units of housing, which are considered affordable, but 2,400 households that are eligible for affordable housing. In particular, there's a need for senior housing and housing for young and newly formed families in Belmont. The housing production plan identifies locations throughout Belmont which develop where development opportunities exist that would help increase affordable housing options. On January 10, the Community Preservation Committee approved the Belmont Housing Trust's CPA application for $250,000 to be set aside to help accomplish the goals of the housing production plan. This is a stepping stone we need to lay the foundation to build on going forward, said Gloria Leipzig. Leipzig then said there was three key elements of the plan. An assessment of the town's housing needs, a demographic analysis, goals they are trying to meet, and strategies towards achieving those goals. People think of Belmont as the town of homes and don't realize that 35 to 40 percent of residents are renters, and about 25% of households are eligible for affordable housing. I think that's a pretty significant statistic, said Leipzig. Only 6.7% of homes in Belmont are affordable, including apartments, she said. In 2013, Belmont revised its exclusionary zoning bylaw. Currently, a development of 6 to 12 units must make 10% of its units affordable. A 13 to 40 unit development must be 12% affordable. A development with more than 40 units must be 15% affordable. However, a mixed use development is only required to have 10% of its units affordable. The Belmont Housing Trust would like to work with the planning board to revise the exclusionary zoning bylaw to increase the affordability requirement to be comparable to similar bylaws in neighboring communities, said Leipzig. Two new developments, Royal Belmont, which is partly completed, 
and the Bradford, which is under construction, will add 72 more affordable units to Belmont's inventory. 60 units of affordable housing will be created at Royal Belmont and 12 at the Bradford. Someone who is making up to 80% of the area median income will be eligible for subsidized units. However, 337 units are still needed to meet Belmont's affordable housing quota under the state's Chapter 40B law, which sets as a goal that at least 10% of a town's housing units be set aside for affordable housing. Leipzig said creating affordable house ownership and affordable rental units in Belmont is difficult. The CPA grant will give the Belmont Housing Trust the ability to work with developers who might be amenable to uh, adding affordable units if the housing trust offers them additional funds. He might be able to buy down a number of units the developer might normally think of as market rate units. If we offer funding up front, the developer might make additional units affordable, said Leipzig. The funds could also be used for pre-development site work to identify areas in the community where an affordable housing development could, build, could be built near public transportation. Most important, Leipzig said, approval of the CPA grant tells other statewide agencies who may be lenders on affordable housing projects the town of Belmont is committed to affordable housing. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Arlington Native starts in-home chef service for seniors. He'll come to your kitchen and cook for you once a week by Abby Matheson. When Arlington Native John O'Neill lost his job cooking in the Tewksbury Hospital Kitchen, he took the opportunity to start his own business. We were thinking about a food truck, actually. I bought the food truck for dummies book. That's a really young guy's game now. It's the same as having a restaurant, said O'Neill. Having left the restaurant business for business cafes, O'Neill wasn't looking to get back into the long hours required for that kind of cooking. While listening to the National Public Radio one day, he found his inspiration. I came across this story on NPR about chefs for seniors, and I thought, wow, this would be just the perfect fit. I could do as much work as I want per day. You can do three to four clients a day, so I'm not working until 12 at night, he said. And then also just being able to help them. That's the biggest thing. It's fun to cook for people, people that really liked it and appreciate what I'm doing. With the help of his brother, Christopher McCormick, O'Neill purchased a franchise of Chefs for Seniors, a meal service bringing professional chefs into the homes of the 65 and over community. There's nobody else doing this. There's meal services. You can call Uber and have them deliver meals. There's senior meal service centers aside from Meals on Wheels. There's more upscale ones, but they're just dropping off, said O'Neill. We're in there. We're hanging out, telling jokes. Other chefs for seniors' locations include Florida, Georgia, and Wisconsin. 
O'Neill's franchise is the first to hit the Northeast, covering Arlington, Lexington, Winchester, and Belmont. For now, O'Neill will be the only chef working for the franchise. Over the next few months, he and McCormick will look to bring on more chefs to help expand their team. Finding people is going to be key that are personable and good cooks, said O'Neill. To be able to hang out with somebody and engage and build relationships, that's going to be key. How it works. Seniors or caregivers interested in hiring O'Neill can set up an initial consultation session. They will sit down and discuss the seniors' likes and dislikes and dietary needs. O'Neill will then go through the kitchen and take an inventory of what is already there. That way, when he purchases groceries for the meals, seniors don't wind up with two of something. They control the cost of the food, said O'Neill. So if they want filet mignons or lobster tails, I'll buy whatever they want and cook whatever they want. Seniors select from a list of 12 menu items to rotate through over a five-week period. While menu items don't feature calorie counts, they do note which meal options are best for diabetics, contain low sodium, and are heart-healthy. Some menu options include lemon chicken, orzo soup, Swedish meatballs, apple sage, pork tenderloin, and classic shepherd's pie. They choose four of those entrees, and I'll come in and I'll prepare three to four servings of each entree, so there will be 10 to 12 servings. By the time I'm done, or four entrees, O'Neill said. The meals are then packaged and put in the client's fridge or freezer. After he finishes cooking, O'Neill will sit down with the seniors and discuss the menus for next week. Now here's Max. Thanks, Claire. Farmer's Market Plans Delayed. Selectmen asked Belmont Farmer's Market to address concerns of Belmont Center businesses by Joanna K. Zuvalis. <coughs> the Belmont Farmer's Market, en entering its 13th season, is facing a delay in the approval of plans for its 2018 season. Suzanne Johannet, president of the Belmont Food Collaborative, which runs the Belmont Farmer's Market, said she was disappointed not to have the group's plans for the 2018 season approved at the January 22nd Board of Selectmen meeting. Chairman Jim Williams said the Belmont Food Collaborative needs to meet with the Belmont Center Business Association to address the concerns of Belmont businesses about parking and the day the market is held. The selectmen committed to vote on the 2018 Belmont Farmers Market at the next meeting on February 5th. Selectman Vice Chairman Mark Palillo said the market made a commitment in 2017 to have a dialogue with business owners in the fall, and it wasn't done. Johannet said she sent a letter to the selectman on November 15th, which was never responded to. The letter includes a bar graph of the average number of parking spaces available in the Claflin Street parking lot at 3 p.m. and 5 p.m. on each day the 2017 Farmer's Market was open. They did not count available spaces in the Locatelli lot, only the municipal lot. There was an average of 27 open spaces at 3 p.m. and 58 open spaces at 5 p.m. We believe that even with the businesses that have not yet opened, there is adequate parking on market days, the letter states. 
Referring to the minutes from the April 3, 2017 Board of Selectmen meeting, Johannet said they were never asked to meet with Locatelli Properties or the Belmont Center Business Association before the 2018 season, just to meet with the board in the fall, which is why the November 15th letter was sent asking to open the discussion about the 2018 market season. Locatelli manager, parking regulations hurt. Kevin Foley, manager of Locatelli Properties, which owns 49 through 89 Leonard Street, said Filene's and Macy's, former tenants, got really hurt by the parking regulations the town implemented over the last 20 years. This is a critical moment for the center. I want to make sure the new businesses do well. There are steps we could work on together so it helps both of us. The issue we have is the parking the last five years may be very different than parking this spring or next spring or the year after, said Foley. Alexa Hatziliadis addressed Foley at the meeting, asking if his tenant Foodies Market supports him speaking against the farmer's market. You are here, and it makes it seem the foodie, that Foodies is against the farmer's market, but I know for a fact that they are not, she said. Foley said he is not speaking on behalf of all of his tenants. Business group suggests New Market Day. Gary Dickhout, president of the Belmont Center Business Association, BCBA, said his group supports the farmer's market and thinks it's good for the town. But we are also concerned about the new businesses in the center having enough parking for their customers, he said, referring to Cambridgeware, Didrick's, and Local Root, which opened in the fall, and the Wellington Restaurant, which is opening in the spring. Dickhout said that the BCBA would like the Belmont Food Collaborative to consider changing the day of the market to Monday or Tuesday because it's a slower retail day. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. All alcohol license approved for Wellington uh, by Joanna K. Zavallis. The D. Magistris Brothers' plans for a new restaurant are moving forward. The Board of Selectmen approved their application for an all-alcohol liquor license on January 8. Filippo, Dante, and Damien de Magistris, co-owners of Il Casal in Belmont and Il Casal in Lexington and Dante in Cambridge, are opening a new restaurant in Belmont called The Wellington to be located in the newly renovated 75 Leonard Street building formerly part of Belmont Center's Macy's. Damien said he hopes the restaurant will open in the spring. Construction is underway. The restaurant will serve modern American fare, offer a seasonal menu with locally sourced ingredients, and include vegan and gluten-free options. It will have 133 seats with 21 at the bar, similar in size to El Casal in Belmont. There will be 3,500 square feet on the first floor where the restaurant will be at a little more than 2,000 square feet in the basement for office, storage space, and restrooms. The selectmen approved the all-alcohol license contingent upon the new restaurant's certificate of occupancy and final inspections and approvals by all necessary departments and issuance of common victuals license. I'm very, I am very happy, very relieved 
said the select and at, that the selectmen were deliberately ready to move it along and get us on our way to build this restaurant and open up, said Damien. They chose the name because of its significance to the town's history. The Wellington Tavern used to be located next to Wellington Station. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. Grade 7 to 12 option is favored. The design option narrowed down to major addition with renovated pool and field house by Giovanna K. Zuvelis. After months of public meetings, the Belmont High School Building Committee voted unanimously in favor of a grade 7 through 12 option Tuesday night. During the January 23rd meeting, the BHS Building Committee, Board of Selectmen, and School Committee also voted in favor of the design option known as the, quote, bow tie or 2.4, which is a major addition with a minor renovation of the existing pool and field house. Capacity issues, cost, drive the decision. Superintendent John Phelan recommended the grade 7 to 12 configuration to the school committee and gave a presentation outlining how he reached his recommendation. He said 100 new students have been enrolling in the Belmont Public Schools every year since 2011, and he expects 1,000 additional students through 2024. A grade 9 through 12 high school would not solve the capacity issues in the town's lower grades and would require renovations at the middle and elementary schools costing between $54 million to, $64 to $66 million. These costs would not be covered by the grant from the Massachusetts School Building Authority. A grade 8 through 12 school would solve the capacity issues at the middle school but would still require 39 to 48 million in renovations to the elementary schools to solve the capacity issues. A grade 7 through 12 school would solve the capacity issues for all the Belmont schools. However, an additional option to right-size the middle and elementary schools would cost 18 million to 25 million dollars. Phelan also explored the possibility of changing the grade configurations for the middle and elementary school buildings to kindergarten through grade 6 if a grade 7 through 12 high school is built. He said the Butler and Burbank elementary schools would only be able to have two classes per grade and the Chenery Middle School would have six classes per grade, which he said is not educationally sound. The cost would be $25 million to $34 million to renovate the five, billions, five buildings for kindergarten through grade 6. <laughs> Phelan said a grade 7 through 12 configuration at the high school supports the educational vision for teaching and learning for the entire district. It would create an asset for the town and provide breathing room in all the schools. Financially, he said there is no vehicle for funding for renovations to create more space at the existing middle and elementary schools. Committee members tout the benefits. School committee member Andrea Prestwich said she there are huge positives to a grade 7 through 12 configuration. It was standard in the UK 
where she grew up. Older students can take on supervisory and mentoring roles, she said. School committee member Tom Caputo said Belmont could make any configuration work. I'm confident we can create a great learning environment that matches our vision, he said. Phelan said the most important characteristic that makes Belmont a successful district is the culture it builds for each grade configuration. The bow tie design option was selected. There were four options being considered for the new high school building, all of which could accommodate a grade 7 through 12 configuration. On January 23rd, the school committee, Board of Selectmen, and BHS Building Committee voted in favor of what has been referred to as the bow tie option. This option involves a major addition with a minor renovation to the existing pool and field house. It would be a linear construction along the pond, further away from the railroad tracks. It will have four floors and two separate entrances at each end of the building. The smaller entrance will be for the middle school grades 7 and 8 or for grades 7 through 9. The larger entrance will be for the high school grades 9 and 10 or grades 10 through 12. Course space on the first floor of the building will be shared, which will include a pre-function area for the auditorium, theater, and gymnasiums. Now over to Max. Thanks, Claire. Residential snow removal bylaw information. The purpose of the bylaw is to encourage owners of residential property to remove snow, slush, and ice for abutting sidewalks so that the town's local services and amenities are reasonably accessible by pedestrians via sidewalks. A sidewalk is defined as any walkway paved with brick, stone, cement, concrete, asphalt, <coughs> or any other impervious material. Sidewalks that do not meet this definition are not required to be cleared under the bylaw. Snow, slush, and ice must be removed from the sidewalk or treated no later than 8 p.m. on the day following the end of the storm event. The sidewalk must be cleared to a width of no less than 36 inches. A continuous clear path connecting to abutting property is required. Piling snow on the sidewalk at the property line is not allowed. Property owners subject to exemptions established by the Board of Assessors automatically are exempt from the snow removal bylaw. Property owners are not required to clear a path to the street, clear accessible ramps, or clear MBTA or school bus stops. Corner properties are required to clear both sidewalks along their corner property. Enforcement. The Office of Community Development enforces the snow removal bylaw. The Department of Public Works determines when the storm ends and notifies community development. Property owners should wait until a storm ends before clearing sidewalks. This will avoid the need to clear a sidewalk twice due to snow plowing of the roadways. Community development has two staff members for enforcement of the bylaw. These staff members are also building inspectors and are required to continue their responsibilities as inspectors even during snow events. This means they must be available to meet with homeowners, architects, and contractors and perform building inspections. Snow removal enforcement typically occurs in the afternoon. 
Enforcement is focused on school walking routes and at locations where specific complaints have been filed. Enforcement areas are broadened as more time passes after a storm event. There are areas, such as the along the Route 2 access road, where the town does not do the plowing and therefore enforcement is difficult. Property owners are cited only once per event. If a property isn't cleared, they receive written notice for this first offense. If the property remains unclear after the same event, the owner does not receive an additional citation. If the property is not cleared after the next event, a $50 fine is sent. The bylaw does not give the town the ability to compel a property owner to clear their sidewalk. Property owners are subject to fines up to $350 per winter season if they do not clear the sidewalk, but they can choose not to clear the sidewalk. Over to you, Bob. Thank you, Max. Fire damages three storefronts by Joanna K. Zavallis. A one-alarm fire which broke out inside Pilgrim Shoe Repair, 448 Common Street in Belmont, and damaged neighboring stores, the Spirited Gourmet and Fred Astaire Dance Studio, was quickly extinguished by the Belmont Fire Department on the evening of January the 14th. The cause of the fire is under investigation. According to Belmont Fire Chief David Frizzell, at about 8.23 p.m. on January 14, a Belmont police officer noticed the fire alarm sounding in the business block of 448 Common Street. Joint Public Safety Dispatch called a received a call shortly after from the Central Station monitoring company reporting an alarm activization. He said upon arrival, smoke was visible from inside the common area where the fire alarm panel was located, and after further investigation, a fire was seen inside Pilgrim Shoe Repair. Companies forced the front door uh, to gain access, and fire was visible in the back of the store. Upon entering, the automatic fire sprinkler system activated, uh, he said. The fire damage was contained to the Pilgrim Shoe Repair, and there was smoke damage in the common hallway and water damage to the shoe store and Fred Astaire Dance Studio in the basement directly below the show store. The Spirited Gourmet suffered minor water damage. The fire is under investigation, but appears to be accidental in nature, said Fire Chief Frizzell. His department cleared the scene in three hours. This fire was a great example of how important early detection and activization of a single fire sprinkler head resulted in saving a significant amount of property. Had these elements not been in the building, the fire would have been much worse, said Frizzell. Chris Benoit, owner of the Spirited Gourmet, said he feels very lucky. His store was able to open on January the 15th. We suffered some water damage, but you'd never know it today. The service master guys came in last night to clean it up. Literally took about a half an hour, he said. And now over to Claire. Thank you, Bob. It's time to license your dogs and cats. It's time to do the annual renewal of your pet license, both dogs and cats, to comply with the Massachusetts General Laws, Chapter 140, 
and the Belmont General Bylaws. Make sure you license by the March 15 deadline to avoid the automatic increase in fees and the possibility of a $50 enforcement violation. If your pet has an up-to-date rabies vaccination currently on file with the town clerk, renewal of the pet license can be accomplished in fewer than two minutes by renewing and paying online. The convenience fee for a $12 pet license is just $1.22 more. First-time licenses for new pets must be by paper application with the veterinarian certificate of rabies vaccination. Pet licensing applications, both online renewals and fillable PDF, are available on the town clerk's webpage at www.belmont-mat.gov-townclerk. A paper pet license application will also be included with every census mailing to Belmont households during the months of January. Beginning March 16, the fees increase significantly. Fees applicable are January 1st through March 15th. Spayed or neutered cats and dogs are $12 or $9 if the owner is 60 years or older. Unaltered cats and dogs, $37 or $34 if the owner is 60 years or older. Now here's Max. Thanks, Claire. Teacher to debut first novel. Book incorporates the magical realism of childhood by Abby Matheson. Thompson fourth grade teacher Sarah Marie Jett wrote the first draft of her novel in three months, but it would be another six years before she was offered a book deal. I always wanted to get there, but I wasn't sure if I would, said Jett. The Belmont resident started her novel, What the Wind Can Tell You, in 2011. Two kids later, she dedicated herself to refining the draft, taking advantage of nap time and the evenings after her kids were asleep. In the summer of 2017, Jet signed her deal with Islandport Press, a Maine-based publishing company. Her novel will be available in May. The Thin Line Between Magic and Reality Jet tells the story of two siblings, Isabella and Julian, who both love the wind. Julian has a severe form of epilepsy, and the novel opens with him having a serious seizure. When Julian comes home from the hospital, Isabel sits with him in his room. Around them, the room transforms into the magical world of Las Brisas. In this world, Julian has no physical limitations. I teach fourth graders the line be- sorry, I teach fourth graders. The line between real and magic is very thin for them, said Jet. For them, it's very real. The rest of the novel explores the contrast between Las Brisas and the real world the love between siblings and between parents and their children. The novel is inspired by a family Jet nannied for, whose son had epilepsy. After she nannied for the family for several years, they had a second child. On her drive home from visiting the little boy's new sibling, she was struck with the idea and pulled over on the side of the road to write it down on a napkin. As a parent, you want to protect your kid, said Jet. Isabel's parents want to love Julian and protect him and keep him safe, but her sit his sister loves him in a different way. Inspiring students. 
A teacher for 10 years, Jet was used to giving her students edits on their work. Getting edits really affected me as a teacher, she said. I've seen the other end. Jet showed her students how her draft changed over time, how the deleted chapters and characters made it better in the end. It's great for kids to see grown-ups doing lots of things, said Jet. As a Mexican-American, Jet looked to fill her classroom library with books featuring diverse characters. Growing up, she struggled to find herself represented in literature. Originally from Maine, Jet said she would get excited when a character had brown eyes like her, but there were never any with brown skin. And over to you, Bob. Along with my colleagues Claire and Max, we thank you for listening to the Talking News and hope you've enjoyed the show. We will return next week for another edition of local news happenings around Belmont. Go Patriots!